I am Emily Lyons. In 2009, without a high school degree and no money to my name, I decided to start my own business. But since then, I've built several multi-million dollar companies and I don't plan on stopping. Being a businesswoman, CEO, serial entrepreneur, survivor, and general life enthusiast, I'm endlessly jazzed by the business of life, especially the stories of extraordinary people I've had the privilege to meet along my own improbable journey to success. I don't think it's fair to keep that privilege to myself, and I think you deserve to be lifted and shifted by these people too. After all, all inspiring people are inspired people. So get ready to be inspired. This is Mind Your Business. Oh, I'm so excited because I am joined by the incredible Brooke. Brooke, welcome. Hi, Emily. This is such a pleasure. I have just looked up to you so much since a year ago on Clubhouse. Like, what a world we live in. This is such a pleasure. So glad. So how would you describe yourself? (laughs) Who is Brooke? It's so funny because like, I feel like I've had to introduce myself so many times over the last year and it's kind of like changed a little bit because I think, you know, a lot of people knew me from TikTok, but the best way to describe who I am is simply a technologist. I've been in tech for the better part of 30 years. You started when you were five. Yeah, exactly. Somebody said that earlier, like, you're not that old. I'm like, no, I know I'm not. That's the whole point is... I'll be 46 in a couple of weeks. And like, that's not old. It's just that things have moved so, so quickly since the 90s, like so quickly that we as Gen X, which is a very small generation, you know, the years that are included, we had the best of both worlds. Like we grew up with, you know, plastic phones on the walls that, you know, have these long cords and, you know, kicking rocks down the street. Literally, like that isn't even a joke. Like we had to walk to people's houses to like go hang out with them. And then all of a sudden things just blow up. And I fell in love with technology and computers I don't know, I think I was 16, had an after-school job, and it was like 1992. And they wheeled in this giant beige computer with like Windows 3.1. And it was like trauma therapy for me. I had a really difficult childhood. And so computers for me were just this like elegant, solitary way for me to understand myself because it didn't talk back to me. You know, it wasn't disappointed in me. Computers have always been very like viscerally important and not just a way to make money or, you know, have a career. So that to my core, I am a technologist. But over the years, I've done so many different things. I'm very outspoken about mental health. I did a mental health podcast for a while, which actually got a lot of attention. And then I found TikTok at early 2020. And to be honest, was just, I was bored and I was newly single. My teenager was back and forth to his dad. So those weeks that I know everyone felt really lonely, I felt the walls closing in. I couldn't go anywhere. I'm a traveler. To be locked down like that, I know was really difficult for so many people. And so I just started doing these funny videos just to like, you know, everyone asked, was it my teenager that got me into it? I'm like, he doesn't even do social media. This was just all me. Like it was all me. So that's kind of morphed into a lot of different things. It's provided me with a lot of opportunities. I love it. I love entertaining people and educating because a lot of it is that educating about tech. So I think to my core, being a technologist and being an educator, even in my professional life as a consultant, I'm really just educating my clients on what they should do and then how to implement it. And just being a badass like you. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because then you started taking off on TikTok and now you've got hundreds of thousands of followers. Yes. (laughs) What is my life? Seriously, 310,000 followers. I I just hit 5 million likes. Like, what? What is happening recently? So you got to know that the ones I'm most proud of are 
like the teaching of technology or crypto and helping people better their lives. And the ones where I do talk about mental health, I haven't done a lot of those recently, but I think what got me blowing up on TikTok is just that I'm able to deliver a line, right? I have these facial expressions that are very like pronounced and it all just comes very naturally. So it wasn't very difficult. I know a lot of people spend a lot of time doing content, but I know you've heard me say this a bunch of times when we have spoken in different spaces and rooms. I don't know if I would have had the time and energy if I'd had to put that much into it. There's some videos that have hundreds of thousands of views that I'm literally sitting in my car, just like talking to the phone, right? With no makeup, like no nothing. The one that just recently had like a million and a half views. I'm sitting here in my loft and talking about how my son is mining crypto with his graphics card. And because it got so many people talking, and that was kind of the point, was to get people talking, to understand what this new thing is and to just understand what is possible for your kids to either make money or you know what's out there. So it's not that I'm any better than anybody else. It's just that I put forward some of these sort of topics that people either argue about or just have tons of questions about. And I'm just able to like deliver that content with my voice. And it's not lost on me that I have an, an engaging, authentic way about me. And it's one of the nice things about myself that I have honed over the years. So I wasn't always this nice. <laughs> I was a sad, sad person for a long time. So like, you know, once something clicks for you mentally, you can become a whole new person. Oh, and, 100%. You know, I remember, yeah, when I had depression around when my sister died and I was a mean yeah. person. Yes. All of the things with bipolar and PTSD. And when I was misdiagnosed with type two bipolar, I was misdiagnosed and then wrongly medicated. That's not the right word. You wow. know what I'm saying? Like I was taking the wrong med- medication. Hmm. And so it did not do have the effect that it should have. So then when I was correctly diagnosed, it was like your whole brain just comes alive. And I always looked at it like, these are just tools, medication, therapy. These are just tools to help you really truly understand yourself and get to that place of self-awareness that's what kicks you into gear, not the right medication. Like it doesn't fix the core issues, Mm -hmm. but yeah, you can just be mean. You know, if something snaps like a death, like, you know, a divorce, so many things that can just snap you out of it. And it takes a lot of work. So I commend you. I know you've done a lot of work to be where you are. I, like I said, I look up to you always have. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I remember, I think about that often and I've sent messages over the years, apologizing for just how I was during that period of time, because I'm a hurtful person. Hurt people, hurt people is absolutely true. And that's what I think. I see those comments and stuff on like TikTok because there's so many trolls on there. Mm -hmm. uh, That person obviously is not a happy person. Not happy. Exactly. You know, that energy that people get by tearing other people down because, you know, I was realizing this in this uh, kind of new ecosystem that I'm in, in the technology world, there's a lot of sort of scrambling to the top of, you know, the NFT world. I sit back and watch because for me, I've been in this particular type of technology for a long time. Now there's just this new like portion that everyone's excited about that everyone's trying to, it's like social media, right? Everyone's trying to climb and it's like crabs in a bucket. You know, they're pulling on everybody on the others to get out. And I recognize that sometimes like even for me, like even though I'm everyone's best friend and everybody loves me, there's still quite a few people out there that are trying to, to grab on and pull me down so that they can get higher. It's human nature. It's absolutely human nature. And I don't know what I, why I brought that up, but Wait. I think it's important for people to know that even people who are super authentic and 
you know, try to be nice all the time. That doesn't mean that I'm immune to it. It just means that my symptoms have maybe lessened because bipolar one is high mania. And when I was in manic episodes 10, 15 years ago, it was scary as shit. It was scary. And I'm a big person. I am five foot 10, you know, and it can be really scary. We don't talk about that enough. Like with mental health, there's a physical aspect. There's like a daunting, actual physical aspect that, you know, it's dangerous to be around somebody who is not self-aware enough to take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. And it is terrifying. Mm -hmm. It is terrifying. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. And when you're at a point where you would, you know, where you would wish death rather than suffer, it's like, imagine what that's like for that person. It is. I feel bad for the people that don't have the opportunity to get help or, you know, those, which is tough or, you know, how stigmatized medication is. Right. Uh, yes, I'm all for natural. I love doing things as natural as possible, but sometimes you, and, and I remember when I got treatment back in 2011 and I was so against, like, I'm not going to take medication. I'm not doing this. And the right. doctor said to me, Emily, think of quality of life. Yes. Do you want to take a medication that maybe is not going to be that good for you and live a better life? Exactly. Or do you want to keep suffering because what you're doing isn't working? Exactly. Exactly. Somebody said that to me when I finally had that correct diagnosis in, God, I don't know, it's probably been 10 years, maybe longer. And they switched my medication. And I remember people saying like, you have to take that forever. And I'm like, gladly. I will gladly. (laughs) Yeah. The rest of my life because now I can function. Mm -hmm. And I think it becomes a little bit more. So I have a 17 and a half year old who is my life. And I think becoming a parent for me was also like a light switch was flipped for me. Like if I don't take care of myself and make this a priority, you know, he's, what is he going to learn from that? To not take care of his, like now he's kind of dealing with, I mean, what teenager doesn't deal with depression? However, he now has the tools because he's seen me and it's not like taboo. You know, he even asked this morning, I think I need to start seeing Tyler again, his therapist. And I'm like, great. Like what teenager is that self-aware to you know, to do that doesn't mean it's working. You know, you can be self-aware and go through all the therapy and not want to change. So I've told him that too. Like, it doesn't mean that you get on a zoom call with your therapist and all of a sudden you're fixed. Like Mm -hmm. you have the work to do. And that's the biggest part of it. So I wanted to, because you mentioned NFTs briefly, but it's funny because so many people don't know what it is still. So many people. (laughs) How do you explain what NFTs are to people? It honestly depends on the audience, right? Like I think the best way lately is this ecosystem, this sort of philosophy, because I could go to the real technical route, you know, and talk about how this is a new way to have ownership of digital assets. And people are like, what? Because it doesn't pertain to them. Like I have a very different audience on Twitter than I do or on and Clubhouse as I, you know, than I do on TikTok. So I always have to formulate or podcasts. I don't know what necessarily the audience is. So like, let's say we're speaking to parents of teenagers because my son is a gamer. And so he's been playing like Roblox and Fortnite and all of that. Well, every parent of a teenager gaming has given them money to buy like a thing, like a sword or whatever, a digital asset in their game to buy that, then they can have that and they can use it. You know, there's an infinite number of those. So people that are playing in these games 
anyone can buy one. So it's not unique, but that is essentially the thought behind it. And NFT right now can mean so many different things. Yes, it's literally buying a JPEG, which a JPEG is just a graphic that you can, everybody knows what a JPEG is. It's a picture. Mm -hmm. But what's happening is it's technically a solution to an ownership problem. You know, every piece of content that you and I do on TikTok and Instagram and all of that, you don't own any of that. If Instagram and Facebook went down tomorrow, you get nothing, Emily. Like Mm -hmm. you get nothing. It is theirs. Unless you started, you know, your own server and put everything on there, you don't own it. In this case, what you can do is, and it's so early, so it's not like, oh, I'm already doing this with all my TikToks and putting it on the blockchain. And that's not where we are yet. Where we are is in this very, very, very beginning iteration period. It's only been about a year since this has really been like gelling, right? So what it's doing, let's just take this for example, for artists, let's say graphic designers. They always like worked for somebody else because that's the only way they could make money doing graphic design. Mm-hmm. And now with this particular situation, they can either do art for a gaming company that's actually utilizing NFT technology, this blockchain technology. I love the word blockchain. I feel like it's a Marvel character. And what it means is it's very, very secure. So if I want to buy your art, instead of me having to like commission you through a certain thing, now I can just support you by buying this NFT. And what I'm buying is the code behind that to have the rights to that image, to have that graphic. And so there's a lot of implications here. The other day when I was buying and selling a couple of things, because I'm supporting artists, my son was like, I don't get it. Like, what are you guys even doing? Like, so weird, you know? And I'm like, okay, why did you want that $85 hoodie from some brand? I don't even know, right? Like, I don't care. And not the $10 one from Walmart or $20, whatever, you know? And he's like, well, because my friends, we really like that brand. You know, we're kind of like in it together. And, you know, like, why do we buy Louboutins, right? Because it's not for the utility. And it's not like walking on clouds. It's literally the brand, it's the ownership, it's the like camaraderie, other Louboutin, you know, collectors. Same type of thing is that now we can all kind of be a part of something. You can be anything you want in this, you know, ecosystem. So it's not just the, I'm just clicking and using crypto to buy a JPEG because that's ridiculous. Like, why would you do that? There has to be more to it, right? It's a solution to a problem right now. There's in the music industry because there's all these third parties, right? Musicians don't make any money anymore. And so in this case, there's all these different tools being built for musicians to be able to sell their art, their music to us as consumers and making all of the money themselves. And who doesn't want that? Mm-hmm. Does that kind of help? Yeah. Love that. Okay. So I think I joined like OpenSea July last year. Yeah, Keith was nagging me to first. He was like, you're going to love this. There's so many opportunities. I know you're going to want to build a business within this space. And yep. I did get really addicted with buying so many NFTs and haven't had any moon yet. No, <laughs> Just a lot of spending and a lot of going to zero. <laughs> Not a lot of them do. That's a really good point to make because right now there's so much... Listen, this is like the dot-com boom of the 90s. And I know you're not old enough to remember that, um, but... 37. You are not. Yeah, 85. All right. So you do remember. Um, <laughs> 
it was like everybody, it's a cash grab and it's a gold rush and it's all of these different things. And there's only a very small percentage of people who are hitting those getting gold, but that's all you hear about. And everybody is motivated by money. Like, let's just be honest. Like I'm motivated by money, but I use this analogy a lot. Like a hammer, if you pick up a hammer, you can use it to kill someone or you can use it to build a house for someone right? The electricity in the world can cook the dinner and it can also cook the man. So anytime you have something like this, everyone's kind of rushing at certain things and whether you're doing it for good reason or bad reason, you're going to have to navigate both of those things. So Mm -hmm. people who maybe got in early or did certain things to maybe seems like luck, that's the way it is. There's no way of going back and changing that. So for me, people who made the real money in the gold rush were the people selling the picks and the gold, you know, sifting pans or whatever, the tools. Mm-hmm. And that is guaranteed. So for me as a technologist, I want more people to get into this industry as a coder or a project manager or whatever, because this is not going away. NFTs are just the bright, shiny things right now that are getting people's attention. Mm-hmm. I love it because I've been trying to teach people about blockchain and the future of technology, the future of digital cash for so long. Now we have this like thing where we can point to and be like, look at this cute thing. It makes it easier to teach. But does it mean that everyone's going to have that same sort of it's just like in crypto, you never really know. It is technically gambling. Yeah. But isn't everything in life? Isn't everything well, a gamble? It's funny like- because all the time I have people asking me, hey, I hear people are making a ton of money with NFTs. Can you tell me how? Like, it's just like this sure thing. People seem to think that, sure, yeah, yeah, sure. You can just... I'll tell you what to say. Because like I said, people making the money are the ones building the tools. And so if people can... And this is something I'm working on, by the way, like I'm working on a platform that will teach, especially women, but I'll take anybody to go from what's called web two to web three technology. All that means, and a lot of people are using web two and web three in this sort of philosophical, like mindset way, like that's very web three of you. All that means is web one was like the internet boom, like in the nineties, all it really was, was this internet thing that we could consume. We were, it was called reading essentially consuming it not necessarily writing to it. Then blogging started happening and websites and you know it was kind of a read-write situation for Web2. There's so many iterations of this. We're still in Web2. We're using websites. We're using centralized servers of information. So then what happened was in 2009, 2010, blockchain came along and that was the underlying, it still is, underlying technology for Bitcoin, the digital cash cryptocurrency. But if you take away the cryptocurrency facet of it, we're left with this thing called blockchain, which is an unhackable technology. And to recognize that that's the foundation moving forward for everything, for business, for social media, for anything in business, understanding that that is the tool that I'm talking about in the gold rush. If people can take even a little bit of technical knowledge, I always say like, yes, you could start to learn Web3 programming, but you do kind of have to have a little bit of technical background. Mm -hmm. So if you can learn this You can get a job because the supply and demand, we understand supply and demand of economics because we're business people. There's so much demand for Web3 blockchain programmers that you will be guaranteed work for the rest of your life. I can guarantee that right now. So I think when people are like, oh, how do I make money with NFTs? Well, recognize that it's not just about these JPEGs, that there's a whole foundation underneath it 
that's how you make money. How did you learn how to how to program on the blockchain? Well, I'm in this world for 25 years. So it's a migration. One programming leads to web two programming. That was one of these cool things about being Gen X is I got to start from the beginning. Mm. When I was in college in 1994 in computer science school at Northern Illinois University, I was learning binary code and assembler. I was learning the basics of computers. And then it just goes like this, right? And so then web two, then you learn these other programming languages. And then, like I said, in 2010, blockchain technology Who became built a the thing. blockchain? What's that? Who built the blockchain? Satoshi Nakamoto. Satoshi Nakamoto. So there's this entity. Nobody knows who this person is. Some of us think it's a female. 2008, the financial collapse happened. I love that you asked this because nobody wants to go back to the history of this. Everyone wants to just buy a, an ape JPEG and make $2 million. <laughs> not, that's not happening for like 99.99% of the globe. It's not happening. Mm. You hear about it and you're like, I want that. Well, good luck to you. A lot, <laughs> lot of those people... It happened in Clubhouse last February. I was in those rooms going, this is the dumbest shit ever. And so like, it was a pure luck. People were like, oh, I'll take one of those. And then they hold on to it. And all of a sudden they have all this money. But to go back to 2008, to that financial collapse and the housing collapse or whatever, and all of those people like in my family that were affected, their 401ks were like being you know, obliterated, there was a huge problem that needed new solutions. So in 2009, something called blockchain and the Bitcoin white paper came out explaining this new technology. And the reason why it was attached to cryptocurrencies because of this financial collapse and this way of creating a secure way to transfer value, to transfer money digitally. And so that came out and there was no refuting it. There still is no refuting the technology called blockchain. Why is that? Why is it not hackable? So if you think about, let's say like an Excel spreadsheet, right? You pull up your Excel spreadsheet or Google Doc and you can write something in and then I can go into it and change it. And then I, you know, and then we distribute that to people, right? Like let's say we own a company and we have all this information. We distribute it. Maybe we lock down the Excel spreadsheet so people can't make changes. But the fact is, then it could come back to us and you and I could make changes and we're the like central authority on it because it's sitting on like Google and that's a central location for all this data that can just be changed in and out. And nobody knows what the beginning was. Nobody knows what we originally thought it was going to be. So blockchain means that it's this information because everything's just data, right? Like, I don't remember the last time I used physical cash, right? Like a $20 bill. Everything's still digital. Blockchain means that something is written to the computer. And it's literally, there's just computers around the world that have this actual code on it. And then the next block of code has to have a piece of the code from the previous block. And so that's how it works. It has to have this attachment to the last piece of code. So if I was to go and try to pack that and make changes to this particular block that got written and it's done, that would mean that I'd have to go back through all of those other blocks to make the changes. So it's distributed information and can be used for anything. And so if you start using that to create software applications, you've now created an unhackable software application. That means that once it's written to the blockchain, no one can change it. That's all it means. I don't know if you saw that the other day with that NFT where there was the faulty code and yes. 
all that stuff that happened. And then there was all that money that was stuck. Yes. Really different than something being hacked. Yeah. So those are always very needed explanations that being hacked is me going into your code and doing something. Yeah. This was done improperly to begin with. Mm -hmm. They didn't have the correct code in place. And computer code is simply instructions. That's all Mm -hmm. it is. It's a, if you have this, do this. If this doesn't happen, do this. It just keeps going like that. So So, if somebody does that and they publish it into the blockchain, can they now not change that ever? Oh my God. It is gone forever. There's no changing it. This is why there's so many problems is that everybody wants the money and everybody wants what's happening, but they don't understand the code. And there aren't enough technologists and devs to explain it to everyone. There's just not. I have more business than I know what to do with. And it's not my job to teach all these people. They're going to learn it that way. I'm actually glad that stuff happens because that's how people are going to learn. Wow. That's wild. And so- forever. What do you do for your clients? Are you basically coaching them or do you actually build out? So many things. (laughs) (laughs) So for the last like five or six years, because this isn't like new for me, this isn't my first rodeo. So I went from being a technician, right? I was computer coder for a long time. And then I started a business in 2010 doing like IT support, computer repair here in Idaho. Um, was very successful. And then I kind of wanted to just sort of freelance. And so I just became a consultant and it's wonderful because I just go and talk to, I like to work with nonprofits and go in and, and put together a whole blueprint, a whole plan for them, whether or not we have to swap out computers or, you know, get them running correctly. And it's been great. And so then I have like subcontractors. If they need a website, I bring in a web developer. And then sometimes I do the work myself to just keep myself abreast of what's happening so that I can then, you know, teach other people. But over the last, I don't know, two and a half or so years, I've been really focused on helping clients understand cryptocurrency as a way of, and then blockchain as a way of securing their already in place technology. So it's just kind of like changed a little bit. So last year, the first project I worked on was a tool utilizing something completely different than what's being used right now with NFTs. I'm not going to get into the nuts and bolts of it. But for me, it wasn't like getting into NFTs. For me, it was like, these are just tools that are now being built. So things have just morphed. So right now I have, I don't know, three or four developers kind of working for me that I can pull from. And people will just hire me on. Right now I'm working with a really big company in Utah that is tokenizing their services, which just means like that they can now, what's called token gate. So you buy a ticket essentially, and then utilize that when you're done with it, you can then sell it on secondary market. So I facilitate all of that being done. So they have all of these regular programmers, web two programmers, and I come in as like a conduit between the business and the web three side of things. Mm -hmm. And then I really like to educate. So I'm doing some courses, I'm doing, you know, all kinds of different stuff. That to get people into this because it benefits everybody. It benefits everyone to understand what the future of technology is because you're going to need it. Your business is going to need it. You need to understand what your employees are doing, what's best for your business. Mm-hmm. 100%. I've been working on that with, because we have like the Lion's Den, the membership, yep. tokenizing that, you know, because we've got the Discord awesome. and all that. But I love to hear that, that you're going this route of tokenizing your membership site because it Mm -hmm. teaches and it provides, you know, secondary sales. And there's so many 
good things about it that, you know, just the education piece of it, like, oh, if you want this service, let me now teach you how to buy an NFT. And that's good for everybody because it's then you can understand blockchain. That's the way I look at it is, yes, I'm involved in the NFT space and it's fun and I get to go to all these places and educate. But for me, it's that underlying philosophy of cryptocurrency and and what that's going to do for the world. And then underneath that is the blockchain movement that's going to change everything. Because if people don't realize that the US dollar is going to collapse, you know, it's no conspiracy. It's literally, they just print money. So I like solutions to problems and blockchain and digital cash and cryptocurrency is a solution to the problem. It's just, we need to get more people to keep perfecting it. It's innovation. It's the industrial revolution. When I logged into one of my accounts with Wealthsimple. So Wealthsimple is like a trading company in Canada. Yep. Have it or not, but you can see I can see my investments and then I can see my crypto portfolio. And uh-huh. it's funny because on the weekend, my investments were down over 10,000. Yes. And then my crypto was up 15,000 because of ApeCoin. Right. So I was like, well, if that isn't a telltale sign of the future. Right. Exactly. Everyone's like, oh, it's so volatile. And I'm like, do you not remember 2008? That was the quintessential definition of volatile. Like, thankfully, I was in a good place because here's another thing is that I've been in tech, right? Tech is good money. I've always had a great job. I've always been the breadwinner. You know, even when I was married, I never really had to worry. That's not to say that there weren't years where we were, you know, that it was paycheck to paycheck. Like, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that during all of those times, I didn't have a house foreclosed on. I was really like blessed because I chose an industry that will always be a lucrative way to work. So I remember back then when it was like those people that were living paycheck to paycheck and they were given these ability to get these mortgages that they couldn't afford. And all of a sudden they're foreclosed on. And it's this like, that's volatile. That's volatile. Like what? And you didn't really have any control over it. Whereas with like crypto trading or even the stock market, if you're going to invest your time and money in something, you are going to do the research. Mm -hmm. Nobody did research on these home loans that were predatory or else they wouldn't have done it, right? And so then you've got 2008, everything falls apart and now we need a better solution. And here comes blockchain and cryptocurrency, but everyone wants to say it's just for criminals or it's just this or just that. Well, what were criminals using before cryptocurrency? You know, they were using dollars. So that argument makes no sense to me. (laughs) So it's a paradigm shift that, I think people don't quite want to get on board with because it's different than what they're used to. Hmm. And I think that the people that do, they just don't know where to start because it just seems so confusing. And it's like, they don't know what to do. And I remember, you know, when I joined OpenSea and I started, I was asking Keith, Keith is a mutual friend of ours, how to do everything. Like, cause like, I remember, I think one of the first ones I, the first NFTs that I got was an alpha girl because he was like, oh, get one of these, get one of these. And I was like, how do I do this? Yeah. There's all these different things. It says buy now. And what, what, yep. what, how do I do this with the MetaMask? Now do I get the money in the MetaMask? Like it's... Right. But then you have to remember too, because I've had these conversations with so many people and I'm like, but remember that people just listening to this podcast right now, hearing the word MetaMask, they now know more than 99% of the entire world. And to be that early on something means something. So you may not know the ins and outs of what a MetaMask is, but let me just tell you this. I have a 30-year career in technology, whatever, 25-year you know, career in technology, and I didn't know what MetaMask was because it wasn't a thing until last year. 
So I just don't want people to get like, oh, we're missing out. Granted, things are moving really quick. So yes, we're early, but you know, don't sleep on this. But just know that find somebody to answer the questions. There is no, everyone's like, where do I go to learn? I don't have a very great, you know, a good like specific thing. I wish that I could say go to brookejlacy.com and I've got all this information. I don't have time. I don't have time. The only time I have is these types of things or, you know, in Twitter spaces, the content I do on TikTok. That's the only time I have because I see a massive audience. I see that that's going to affect the most amount of people. Me doing it one-on-one, you know, isn't going to help a massive amount of people. Mm-hmm. But understanding just the words that are coming out of our mouth, like you now know more than almost the entire world. And this is the future. So just be like sort of grateful that you're hearing it now and not five years from now. And there are some helpful videos on YouTube to walk you through things like what is OpenSea? What is MetaMask? How do I load my wallet? How do I set it up? And then just by taking it really slow, I think for a lot of people and purchasing an NFT and it doesn't have to be something crazy. It can be something really affordable. Like maybe you spend a hundred bucks on one. Once I think you make that first purchase, something really clicks in people's minds because you see that you experience that and then you can go on over and you explore the community or maybe you do that first, which you should. Right. (laughs) Join the discord and chat with other people in the community and see what that feels like. And I always tell people do like a one of one artist first. Go and find like a Sabet or there's tons of them. Go on OpenSea and just buy something just for the art. That's it. Yeah, love that. And then kind of start, you know, like you said, go into the Discord. I'm not a huge fan, but it's a necessary evil, I guess. But understand what people are talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Something that I learned that I think is really important is not to get caught up in the hype. Like, oh my God, this one's going to be huge. Get in, get in, get in. And you're all scrambling to get in and you don't care what the... Because it's like, oh, this is going to take off. You're going to make so much money. And yeah, it starts to take off. And then it's like, yep. Yep. So it's like, uh, and it seems like there's a new one every week. And there was a big thing this weekend. And it's like, that's those hours in Twitter earlier today because they really screwed up. And, you know, but how did they screw up? So I thought that was with the dark side or the other side? The other side. Yeah. Without being able to explain the minutia of it all, let's just say this, the fees that are associated because none of this is without, you know, paying the piper, right? Like you have to pay the fees that go along with being able to do these transactions. Mm -hmm. So this particular thing was in terms of the metaverse, which my teenager always jokes, like the metaverse is not new, right? Like it's just a video game. It's just now a video game for adults. He rolls his eyes. Like we've been in the metaverse for a long time. Well, they're like game pieces, right? All of these game pieces are being sold to be able to like utilize in the metaverse, like down the road. So essentially these are Kickstarter campaigns. Everyone's going to probably like hate me for saying that, but it is what it is. I'm a business person. And then they're going to use that money to build out the game. Correct. Mm -hmm. So you get this like piece of land that does nothing right now. Zero things. And And down the road, it'll be part of a valuable game. And then you own a lot in the game. Maybe Maybe it has a utility. Like maybe you can put an ad for your business on a popular lot of land. There people are going to be playing a game on your land and coming across. Right. But is it worth, because somebody earlier was like, well, you know, they're competing against Facebook and and I'm like, no, but Facebook isn't kickstarting their stuff. Like none of these things are kickstarting. I don't know how to describe this. They sold pieces of a land for a game that doesn't yet exist. For a lot of money. 
How much? A lot of money. One plot of land. And remember, this is sort of fluid. So when you have something at the beginning that hasn't sold anything yet, it's called a mint. So you actually mint something like it's created for you. Then you can then sell that. And that's where that open sea situation comes in. And that's where people start making money because they're reselling it. And then there's royalties that go to the creator, all of that. And then when the hype is built up, like it was Saturday night, and this is a scarcity situation, just like with Bitcoin, that's why it's valuable because there's only a certain amount. I'm a big fan of that. Like I make myself valuable as an asset because I have a certain expertise, right? And that my time is scarce. That's why I can charge what I charge. It's simple. It's simple economics. So this is no different. It's scarce. There's not a lot of it. Everybody wants it because everybody else wants it. There's only so many. There's never going to be more. So when they started doing this, this is all part of the board ape yacht club, which in itself sounds ridiculous. People are going to listen to this. What, what did she just say? The what, what now? It's literally called the board ape yacht club. And they were the ones last year that kind of got everything started. They were throwing shit against the wall to see what stuck. This is all the wild west. It's gold rush. And then over the year, all of these very prominent companies came in and, you know, wanted to do certain things here. So they created this metaverse called the other side. And so then all of these people, there was all these rules. You had to have a certain amount of ape coin, which is an alternative coin. And that means their ecosystem. So they get their own coin, they get their own metaverse, they're selling, it's a product. And it required 300 ape coin which at the time were worth $20 if we're going to do the calculations. So a plot to mint, the original mint was around $8,000. Wow. That's a lot of money. And then what happened was because there's a fee, you bottleneck all those people because they're like, it's like 5 p.m. All right, go. And then you've got this bottleneck because everyone's trying to buy it at the same time. If every single person tried to make a visa transaction at the same exact time for the same product, it would be the exact same thing. The visa would shut down. It's called transactions per second. How many transactions can go through at the same time? No different in crypto or NFT. You know, The transactional speed is what makes the fee higher because then it's like, okay, who's going to get it? Who's going to get through? So all these fees went through and without two more hours on this, $175 million. Okay. They're not dollars. It's, you know, it's crypto, but in terms of what people are going to understand, yeah. $175 million was in fees. And a lot of that was actually what's called burned. So it just it was burned a transaction. It was the fee to be able to run those transactions. Didn't the purchase didn't go through? A lot of them didn't. <gasps> so they just spent money attempting to try to buy it. Correct. And then what happened was a lot of us technologists were like, everyone thinks that cryptocurrency is like anonymous. Absolutely not. You may not be able to see the person involved, but the blockchain is open. You can see everything on there. And once you've looked at it quite a bit, you understand what's going on. You can watch where all of this goes. You can watch all of the money going into wallets. You can see it all. So afterward, we were all looking at this code, right? The instructions for people to say, I want that. So here's the code that's going to instruct where my money goes. And then how do I get this NFT into my wallet that I own? You can actually watch all of that. And we were like, 
why is this thing like this? And why is this thing like this? They have all of these smart people on their team and they couldn't figure out this one little thing that probably would have saved people money. That's odd. So I don't work for that company. I don't know, but there's a lot of really upset people in this ecosystem and it doesn't make it look good to the outside person what's happening in our NFT ecosystem. Does that make sense? Like who ended up getting that money? Okay. So when we talked about blockchain and then Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin was the very first cryptocurrency. And so in order to create or mine or mint Bitcoin, you have to have a computer that is solving a problem. And whenever people are like, it's bad for the environment. Okay. So you have to do a calculation And the first computer to solve that calculation gets a Bitcoin in reward. So over the years, because there's only a set amount of them, it takes a lot more processing power. And so to get to that answer faster, you have to then add more and more and more. Then in 2015, something called Ethereum came along. It's just a different type of cryptocurrency. It's it's written differently, the different types of instructions. It provided the ability to create software applications and not just be a currency. Bitcoin is really just a currency to exchange value. Ethereum is also mined. And so there's all of these computers around the world that mine the Ethereum. And then when you buy it from them and you have that in your wallet, then you need to utilize that to purchase whatever it is. And in doing that, it has to go around this huge, it's called a peer-to-peer network of Ethereum miners, literally computers. Right now on my computer, I am mining certain things. So in order for people to utilize that, they have to do a transaction. And that in itself costs a fee. So those fees went to the Ethereum miners. They're called nodes. So each one of this computer right here that I'm on right now is called a node. And so it validates that transaction. It's just like in a bank, when you send me a bank transfer through Zelle, whatever, something has to validate that. And that's that central server through, you know, the Chase Bank. Chase Bank has to validate that. They get the fee. So in the decentralized world of cryptocurrency and NFTs and all that, the validation is done by way of all of these different computers together. There's no one central place. So the fee has to go to all of these different nodes. So when I go buy some other side land, one of those nodes is going to pick up my transaction and say, okay, this is validated. Go ahead and send her the thing. But all of them are competing against each other to get the fee. I hope this is making sense. If your computer is doing that, like, have you set up a software that just does that automatically? Yeah, it's just- And you just make money as your computer does it. Yes, it's not a lot. There's a lot of ways to mine. This doesn't have anything to do with the NFT stuff. This is simply cryptocurrency mining. Like Mm -hmm. my son has one of the newer, fancier graphics cards to play the video games that he does on his computer. And so at night, he goes to, this is that TikTok video that has like a million and a half views. There's a thing called unminable.com or .io or something. And you can just go on there. It finds what graphics card you have on your computer and you click on the one that you want to mine. Can you do it through laptop? Not really. You have to have that extra processing power because it takes a lot of calculation energy, right? It's like a calculator on a lot of steroids. You have to calculate the answer to something 
to be able to get that reward. And then that's there for people to purchase from you or purchase from the exchange. I mean, we can go into all that. There's so many ways to make money. Yes. And it's mind blowing when you get into just how many things that people haven't even haven't even crossed anybody's mind. Like, hey, yes. something that's actually mine that, yeah, it's just. Yes, but, but same with like, gold. That's why it's called mining. Everybody should read the Bitcoin standard. It explains money. You got to understand money first and why yeah. are things valuable? Why is the paper money even valuable? It's not even backed by gold anymore. I don't think a lot of people even know that. In the seventies, you can't go into a bank and say, give me a dollar's worth of gold bullion. Like it's not backed by anything. It's government money. So that's part of this. It's not what people think it is. It's a consensus. So you're going to hear that a lot in, in cryptocurrency. What it is, is a consensus mechanism. It's that you and I now have decided that the value between us is worth something. We can even take it like this, right? I'm doing this podcast with you because I find it valuable. So we have a consensus between you and I that Mm -hmm. me doing this and spending my energy, because money is just energy, cryptocurrency is just energy, it's all electricity. I find it valuable. So therefore I'm going to give you, I'm going to transact with you this particular energy. And that's all that is. That's it, is the consensus of value, the transaction of value. I get something out of it. You get something out of it. And then on a grander scale, that's what money is. Hmm. Oh, that was so good. You are brilliant. I need to tap your brain and just... I'm going to roll today. It is <laughs> earlier today. So I love that all these things oh, are recorded. So good. I got to get you on again. So where can people find more information about you? So brookejlacy.com has links out to everything. But my personal brand is Brooke J. Lacey. So every social media platform is Brooke J. Lacey. And right now I spend a lot of time on Twitter because I feel like that's just in my world, that's what's benefiting me because I've got all these projects coming up because of it. But yeah, you can find me there, consume the content. I wish that I could answer everyone's question, but I think right now just searching on that, there's a lot of podcasts I've done. There's a lot of TV interviews that I've done, but just, you know, send me all the good vibes. Like they, they can find me if you're listening, just follow her on all the different platforms because as you were saying, you've got things that you're going to be rolling out and you just share a lot yes. of great stuff and you're an awesome yeah. person. So Thanks, I want Emily. to thank you so much for joining me today. This was so good. It was I, so good. I knew it would be. I just love you so much. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much. <laughs>